Episode 79, Buck Rogers. And welcome to episode 79 of Two Geeks, Two Beers. With me, Morgan, and he's got a brand new car, looks like a Jaguar, it's Tom. Hello, and you've already stolen my joke, so thank you very much. <laughs> Your one joke. The year was 1979, and NBC launched the last screen adaptation to date of a popular comic strip hero. After two seasons and 37 episodes, Captain William Buck Rogers was blown out of the network's schedules into an orbit which left the show on ice. But now we return to Buck Rogers 41 years later. Ba, ba, ba. Yes, okay. as you may have guessed, this episode takes the form of a nostalgic look back at the future in the form of Buck Rogers in the 25th century, which was originally broadcast in the US by NBC from the 20th of September 1979 to the 16th of April 1981. Tom, were you a fan? Did you get down with Buck? That will make sense to you later. Um, I'm going to do what I always do on this podcast and reveal how much of a geek I am not, and I don't deserve to be on this program in the first place. I know absolutely nothing, and I mean nothing, about Buck Rogers, apart from the feeder song, which you've already referenced. Like, I know, I don't know if this is a TV series, is it based on a, a book, is it a comic? I don't know. I know nothing about the history of Buck Rogers, so I'm looking forward to you telling me all about it. I could, but I could just make up some shit. Yeah, oh, yeah, you might as well. All right, so let me, let me fill you in. Um, on Buck. So in the UK, uh, the series was originally shown by ITV, uh, beginning in late August 1980. Uh, ITV broadcast Buck Rogers in an early Saturday evening slot where it competed against and beat uh, the long-running Doctor Who, which had uh, begun airing its 18th season, that's Tom Baker's final series for nerds, uh, on the same day. Uh, that actually prompted the BBC to move Doctor Who out of its traditional Saturday evening slot for the first time and into a new weekday slot for its next season in 1982, even though Buck Rogers had already been cancelled in the US by then. So this show actually changed the course of Doctor Who history. Uh, the BBC would repeat the Buck Rogers series on BBC Two in 1989 and again, uh, between 1995 and 1996, which is when I first watched it with my dad, aged about nine or ten. Uh, the series was developed by Glenn A. Larson and Leslie Stevens. So Stevens was best known for creating The Outer Limits, uh, so had some considerable cult TV pedigree, uh, yeah. as did Larson, who was a, a legend of US television. So besides Buck Rogers, he created Battlestar Galactica, uh, Quincy mm. M.E., <laughs> uh, yeah. Magnum PI and Knight Rider. Wow. Um, How did he have time yet, to do anything else? <laughs> who that, maybe it was a, dedicated to his work. Yeah. Uh, but what but what work? Knight Rider. A shadowy flight into the dangerous world of a man who does not exist. And disgracefully, he was only ever nominated for a single Emmy for outstanding drama series for Quincy in 1978. Wow. Okay. Um and 
I just want a, a quick sidebar. I just want to talk about Quincy for a bit because I don't think I don't think I've ever seen a full episode of Quincy, but it has one of the most incredible title sequences. Oh yeah, absolutely of all time. Yeah. Gentlemen, we're about to enter the fascinating sphere of police work, the world of forensic medicine. So what you couldn't see there is at the end, Jack Cogman as a as Quincy ME, yeah. he's just on on a yacht with some beautiful lady, just having having some sort of cocktail and having a kiss. How do you uh, manage that? <laughs> Quincy, right? He's he's solving he crimes. <laughs> he's solving crimes. He's cutting up cadavers, but he's having a great time doing it. And, so that, and that, that, but that intro made it look like Quincy was like a police squad, like a really silly show. They just mucking up, and it's a quite it's quite a serious drama most of the time. Quincy, well, uh, it won an Emmy for for, yeah. uh, for outstanding drama series. But no, you're right. The end gag where the body that he appears to be forensically inspecting is in fact that of a bikini clad lady, and then he gives her a little kiss, despite being about fifty years her senior. Oh, very Quincy, strange. what what an old cad. Mm. Um, anyway. Buck Rogers in the 25th century uh, was based on the character, Buck Rogers, uh, originally created in 1928, so oh, almost, wow. a se- almost a century ago, uh, by Philip Francis Nolan. So Buck Rogers debuted in the novella. Now, how would you, <laughs> how, how would you say this? Armageddon, 2419 AD, 2419 AD. It's a very odd year. Anyway. Yeah. 2419, I'd say. Okay. Buck Rogers debuted in the novella 2419 AD uh, in August 1928 in the pulp magazine Amazing Stories. Uh, Though originally the character was called Anthony Rogers, uh, (laughs) Nolan changed the character's name to Buck when he adapted Armageddon 2419 into a comic strip in 1929. Uh, I guess because he thought Tony Rogers... Just sounds like sounds like the weird kid you avoided at school, doesn't it? <laughs> if there's any Tony Rogers listening, I do avoid him. <laughs> We're gonna get an angry email from Tony Rogers. Oi! <laughs> uh, Should have called yourself Buck. Um, so the Buck Rogers comic strip uh, created a new subgenre: uh, the this idea of uh, swashbuckling adventures in space, mm. and was so popular that it inspired a number of copycats, including Flash Gordon. Uh, which debuted oh, yeah. in 1934, and John Carter of Mars, uh, which originated in 1941. So that idea, this swashbuckling in space, which is now so much a part of pop culture, from everything to, you know, from Star Wars to Guardians of the Galaxy, yeah. that idea didn't really exist before Buck Rogers. Although, now we, uh, though we now consider it part and parcel of the character, Buck Rogers didn't actually venture into space until his fifth comic story, Tiger Men from Mars, in 1930. <laughs> what was he doing so the, up until then? Well, so in the original story, Anthony Rogers, uh, oh. Tone, he's exposed to uh, radioactive gas after becoming trapped in a mine, and he falls into a state of suspended animation for almost 500 years, awakening in the future world of 2419. Uh so prior to Buck Rogers in the 25th century, this TV series, uh, the character was adapted for a radio play. Radio play. <laughs> uh, 
which was, again, another first. It was the first ever science fiction radio show, which ran on and off from 1932 to 1947 with four different actors, Matt Crowley, Curtis Arnold, Carl Frank and John Larkin, voicing Buck across the show's run. Buck Rogers in the 25th century. Buck Rogers is back on the air. Buck and Wilma and all their fascinating friends and mysterious enemies in the super scientific 25th century. This program is brought to you by the makers of Popsicle, Fudgicle, and Creamsicle, those delicious frozen confections on a stick. And now for Buck Rogers and his thrilling adventures 500 years in the future. As you probably know, Buck was born right here in our own times, in this 20th century. And the story of how he got started on his amazing adventures so far in the future is mighty interesting. But instead of telling you about it, let's turn the dial that'll project us ahead in time and find out all about it that way. Now, the capital of 25th century America is Niagara. And there it is that Dr. Hewer, the great scientist, has his marvelous laboratory. In one room of it, he's working on a strange-looking device that sends a peculiar greenish light down onto a human figure lying on a table before him. Shall we join him there? Okay, then, here we go. 500 years into the future... Then in 1939, there was a 12-part Buck Rogers film serial starring, who else? Buster Crab. Buster Crab as Buck yeah, Rogers. Yeah, the hero. This was, this was after he'd already played Tarzan and Flash Gordon, having already previously become a, two, a two-time Olympic swimmer. I don't understand, sir. Uh, who is this man called Killer Kane? He is the result of the stupidity of the men of your century. You failed to stamp out lawlessness, and at the end, the criminal became stronger than the law. Racketeers, you call them. Today, they rule the world as cruelly as they ruled their gangs in your day. Well, isn't there any chance of help from an outside source? Well, only from men on some other planet. Another planet? <laughs> that doesn't sound very hopeful. It could be. But our spaceships seem unable to, to slip through Kane's air blockade. We've lost five thus far trying it. You mean you actually have ships that can travel from planet to planet? Of course. But if you have ships that can travel that far, you know, I think I know a way of running that blockade. Well, if you have any plans, I'm willing to listen to them. But to me, it seems much hopeless. Am I right, Marshal Craig, in assuming that you can operate a plane from the ground at such a distance, mind you, by means of radio? That's correct, Rogers. Well then, sir, why don't you send up such a ship as a decoy? While Kane's patrol is following it, I can slip through in a spaceship and get help from Saturn. We've already lost too many ships and crews. We can't afford to try it. It seems to me you can't afford not to try it, sir. Rogers is right, Marshal. Unless we get help from Saturn, our cause is lost. Very well, sir. You're in charge. Thank you very much. Lieutenant Deering, you will go with Rogers to establish a means of communication with Saturn. If you do get through to that planet. That, uh, that, that moment with Buster Crab where he says, Another planet? <laughs> Reminded me of uh, Michael French in Crime Traveler. <laughs> yeah. Ta- time travel. <laughs> Everybody knows time travel is not possible. Uh, <laughs> so that, that film serial was followed by the first Buck Rogers TV series, uh, which aired on ABC from the 15th of April 1950 to the 30th of January 1951 for 36 episodes in black and white. Although only one of those episodes still exists. And uh, three, three actors played Buck across the series, starting with Earl Hammond, who later voiced Mumra, Jaga, and other characters in Thundercats. Uh, 
uh, followed by Kem Dibbs and Robert Pastine. And uh, two actresses played Buck's female companion, Wilma Deering, uh, the first being Eva Marie Saint, who was later mm. Oscar nominated for On the Waterfront and mm. was the star of Hitchcock's North by Northwest. But then, the massive success of Star Wars in the late 70s saw a revived interest in Buck Rogers. Uh, so Universal began developing the character for television, spearheaded by Glenn A. Larson, who had a production deal with the studio. Uh, initially, Larson and Universal had planned on making a series of Buck Rogers TV movies for NBC, but the pilot for his previous series, Battlestar Galactica, had been released theatrically and had done well at the box office, so Universal decided to release the first Buck Rogers TV movie in cinemas on the 30th of March, 1979. This was a time when not only did films come out of the cinema, but so <laughs> did TV shows. Uh... and days. I do love that sort of thing when something like Star Wars comes along and it's huge. Like all these companies just go, oh, what have we got? What have we got on our books? Like we must have something. We must have the rights to something. What's, what's Buck Rogers? What's that? Um, it's this thing in the 30s that was really good. Yeah, all right then. Fuck it. They'll watch it. Fuck it. You'll watch it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, to cut costs, some footage and various props were used from uh, Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. Uh, but the, the Buck Rogers TV movie had a budget still of uh, $3.5 million and uh, made box office of $21.7 million. Uh, so, so it was successful enough for NBC to commission a weekly series, which then began on the 20th of September 1979 with a budget of $800,000 per episode, which works out at about $2.8 million per episode uh, in today's money. Now, here is the opening <laughs> to the original uh, Buck Rogers cinema release, and and it, it is quite the thing. It's quite the okay. Thing. In the year 1987, at the John F. Kennedy Space Center, NASA launched the last of America's deep space probes. The payload perched on the nose cone of the Massey rocket was a one-man exploration vessel, Ranger 3. Aboard this compact starship, a lone astronaut, Captain William Buck Rogers, was to experience cosmic forces beyond all comprehension, an awesome rush with death. In the wink of an eye, his life support systems were frozen by temperatures beyond imagination. Ranger 3 was blown out of its planned trajectory into an orbit a thousand times more vast. An orbit which was to return the ship full circle to its point of origin. Its mother Earth, not in five months, but in 500 years. For 500 years, Buck Rogers drifted through a world in which reality and fantasy merged into a timeless dream. Weird song. <laughs> Save your actions. What am I? Who am I? What will I be? Where what am is I this? Going, and what will I see? Searching my mind for some truths to reveal. Is this the main theme tune? What yes. fantasy? What memories read? Why is she kissing? I can't watch anymore. Um, okay, why? Why was? 
<laughs> uh, firstly, you had the intro with the talking of the man that sounded like Charlton Heston. Um, yeah. And then, and then it, that, that, that segued segued into a, I don't know, like a James Bond-esque, slightly dreamlike opening sequence. What it you, wishes, you... yeah. And then, and then, but then the song that sounds like it was written by somebody who won a competition in like year two, and they've gone, where am I? What am I doing here? Really, really shit. Like, sorry. Um, and then, wow. and, and then, and then she just sort of snogs him, this random woman, for no reason. Yeah. Uh, does the song a... does does the song get any better? So I've, well, I've, I've... just just to say, there's a, there's a YouTube comment under that video that says, if that's what he was dreaming about, no wonder Buck didn't wake up for five centuries. <laughs> uh, so that that's that song uh... you you have just slammed. Sorry, um, I'm sure I'm sure maybe on, if I was in a different mood, I might like it, but God. That was wow. So I song, thought you were playing. I thought you were playing with the intro to like the the forgotten pilot that we didn't actually get to see. But that's the actual intro. To the original uh, cinematic pilot, yeah. Uh, so the the main title song there was called Suspension. Uh, it okay. was co it was co written by uh, series co creator Glenn A. Larson and performed by Kip Lennon. Um, no relation to John, but a founding member, <laughs> along with his cousin Michael, of the folk rock band Venice. Um, Kip also contributed several songs to The Simpsons, uh, including Flaming Moe's, which was a spoof of the Cheers theme song, and in the season three episode, Start Graving Dad, while Michael Jackson performed the speaking part of I, Leon Compound. Yeah, when you, when you said Kip Lennon, I was like, I know that name from yeah. somewhere, and that's it, yeah, yeah. So Michael Jackson performed the speaking part of Liam Kompowski, a man who believed he was Michael Jackson, but contractual obligations meant Jackson couldn't sing. So it's actually Kip Lennon who performs the song, Happy Birthday, Lisa. Lisa, it's your birthday. Happy birthday, Lisa. Also, in that opening sequence, uh, to make Buck appear frozen in his space shuttle, uh, Gil Gerard, who played Buck, was sprayed all over with dry shampoo. Uh, because of this, he could not move his eyes or uh, open his mouth and allegedly fell asleep while waiting for the crew to set up. <laughs> um, so moving on to the television show, the season one opening of Buck Rogers in the 25th century used an instrumental version of suspension right. as okay. its main theme. Okay, like when I first was watching that, I thought you meant this was the TV series. I've got confused between the film and the TV series. So well, this makes a lot more sense now. There are, there are many notable differences between the film and the TV series, as we will get on to. Okay, um, okay. So the TV series used an instrumental version of, of, of suspension, though the full version, you'll be thrilled to hear, Tom, was played over the end credits of the show's <laughs> season one finale. It's like a little little treat for fans. You get the full full version of suspension. Where am I? What is going on? I'm <laughs> Buck gonna... Rogers. <laughs> Wake me up. That's That's pretty much the song. I actually prefer your version. <laughs> does, it even, does it even start with where am I? It sounded like it. What uh. am I doing? Suspended in space. I am sleeping. Uh, anyway. it, it might as well be. What are the lyrics? Is the lyrics? What was it? Far beyond the world I've known. Far beyond my time. What am I? Who am I? What will I be? Where am I going? What will I see? I mean. It's not a million miles away from what I was saying. Where am I? Um, so, so, so here is the uh, the season one opening uh, okay. to Buck Rogers in the 25th century, and I, I love on this the tonal shift from again dystopian sci-fi with dramatic voiceover to sassy yeah. camp nonsense in a in a matter of moments. It's utter, utterly seamless transition. 
I mean, that is the 70s. The year is 1987, and NASA launches the last of America's deep space probes. In a freak mishap, Ranger 3 and its pilot, Captain William Buck Rogers, are blown out of their trajectory into an orbit which freezes his life support systems and returns Buck Rogers to Earth 500 years later. So the, the composers behind that uh, that theme were uh, Stu Phillips and Johnny Harris. Uh, so Phillips also wrote the theme to Knight Rider and Battlestar Galactica. Knight Rider, of course, another great example of the dramatic voiceover. Yeah, uh, yeah. Knight Rider, a shadowy flight into the world of a man who does not exist and then just gives way to utter camp nonsense. Uh, and Johnny Harris, who was a composer and music producer who died just this year uh, hmm. and worked with everyone from Tom Jones to Engelbert Humperdinck to Shirley Bassey, to Wonder Woman star Linda Carter. Uh, yeah. He was one of the producers on her 2009 album, At Last, alongside John Carter Cash. Uh, well, that was far better. That was a great intro, a great theme tune. That was... I've, got, I've got you back on board. Yeah, that was, that was uh, good. <laughs> uh, that, that voiceover uh, was by William Conrad, who also narrated the original series version of The Fugitive and Rocky and Bullwinkle, um, <laughs> and, and starred in the detective series Canon from 1971 to 1976, uh, although that was swapped out in season two of Buck Rogers for a new voiceover by Hank Sims, who was best known for narrating the opening credits of Quinn Martin TV shows. Uh, he was an American TV producer behind such shows as Canon, uh, Barnaby Jones, and the Streets of San Francisco, uh, and uh, Hank Sims was also hired to imitate his distinctive announcing style in the opening credits for the satirical TV series Police Squad, which, uh, which yeah, really, how weird. the second time we've referenced Police Squad yeah. <laughs> this episode, uh, you know that was coming. Speaking of, speaking of streets of San Francisco, did I ever tell you about the time I met Colin Salmon, the actor Colin Salmon? No, I don't think so. And it was, it was, I was at the launch of um, 24 Live Another Day when they brought back the, the TV show 24. Yeah. And so I was doing, a, a, you know, a red carpet junket. And one of the questions I was asking everyone was 24 is back. If you could bring back any TV show, what would it be? And people were saying, you know, the kind of things people say, oh, I bring back Lost, I bring back The Sopranos, etc., etc. And then Colin Salmon went, hmm, Streets of San Francisco, my favourite <laughs> show of all time. I was like, do you know, I didn't see that coming from you, Colin Salmon, if I'm honest. He just, Colin Salmon just bloody loves a bit of Streets of San Francisco, his favourite his favorite show of all time. Um, love it. Very good. In Buck Rogers in the 25th century, after his accident, Buck awakens in the uh, in the 25th century uh, to learn that civilization on Earth was rebuilt following a devastating nuclear war, which is later established as having occurred on the 22nd of November 1987, though I have to say I didn't notice. Uh, <laughs> the, pl- the planet is now under the protection of the Earth Defense Directorate. Uh, and because Buck doesn't exist as such in the 25th century, uh, he's perfectly placed to go on undercover missions to foil evil plots to conquer Earth. 
the series, reimagining Buck as something of a James Bond in space. Uh, he's considered an honorary captain in reference to his uh, 20th century American military rank, uh, but his membership in Earth's defence forces is unofficial. Nevertheless, Buck often flies with his fighter squadrons and uses his 20th century US Air Force background to assist in their training. Why does being a fighter pilot mean he knows how to fly spaceships? Don't worry about it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's the same stuff. It's all the same. It's, it's basic. The principles are much the same. Uh, the series also followed Buck as he tried, not always successfully, to fit into 25th century culture. Sir, excuse me. Are you familiar with the uh, rock? You know, uh, try it, try it. Come on. No, 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 no. That, that's not it. Just, just let yourself go. Let it go. Go with the music. That's it, right? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. What are you doing? It's called getting down. <laughs> so before your time it frightens you. It's called getting down. <laughs> Nothing frightens me. All right, fine. Get down and boogie. Yeah, I'm <laughs> oh, fantastic. What are you doing? It's called getting down. Oh, love it. So all, so all those times you were down the club in the years gone by and you yeah. wondered why why isn't that girl interested? You, yeah. didn't, you didn't pull out the moves like Buck Rogers and go, it's called getting down. Let's get <laughs> down a boogie. It's because I didn't get down like Gil. Always, always, always get down like Gil. But I love uh, how he goes up to the DJ essentially and goes, do you know like rock? And then he goes... You know, that's the only information he's given him. And then they go, oh, yeah, I instantly know what you mean. And then just, just plays the music. It's like, well, it's not quite rock, but fine. It's the same thing. As long as Gil can get down, Gil yeah. is happy. Gil is gleeful. Uh, so I, I, I referenced earlier the differences between the Buck Rogers original uh, movie pilot and the, and the TV show that followed. So in the original movie, Earth is established as being surrounded by an invisible defence shield, protecting it from invaders. Uh, civilization is restricted to a few cities. Uh, the show's main setting being New Chicago, also known as the Inner City, and travel beyond the Inner City uh, is hazardous, as much of the planet was said to be a radioactive wasteland. Uh, the theatrical film was later re-edited to form the first two episodes of the TV series, but with some scenes removed and new ones inserted. So the two don't really exist in the same canon, um, wow. because in the film, the villain Tiger Man is killed, but his death scene is removed from the TV version and then he then reappears in, in future episodes. Wow. Um, and the TV series was also far more lighthearted and kid-friendly than the film. Uh, and some more adult dialogue from the film was removed from the TV show, including Buck saying shit. Um, <laughs> and when he referred to Wilma as Ballsley. Uh, mm. uh, the portrayal of Earth's future in the TV series was also far more positive. Uh, so after the movie, Earth no longer has an invisible defence shield surrounding it, and there is no further reference to barren radioactive wastelands. And in several episodes, the world outside is shown as lush and green, and Buck would sometimes just venture outside of New Chicago with no ill effects. Uh, initial DVD releases of Buck Rogers in the 25th century as a box set featured the film cut rather than the TV version of the first two episodes, which is confusing mm. given that the continuity yeah. doesn't match up. Uh, the TV version, though, was finally released on DVD as a bonus feature on a reissued box set of season two in 2013, if you want to track down that version. How complicated. So, as, as we've already uh, referenced a couple of times, cast as Buck Rogers in this series was Gil Gerard. Uh, at 35, so a proper man, but still older, slightly older than us. Uh, yes, I mean, yeah. by the time... 
by the time this comes out, we'll probably be about 37. <laughs> and and practised by then, hopefully, in the art of getting down. Um, yeah. By uh, At 35, Gerard was a good 10 years older than uh, Glenn A. Larson was looking for in a lead actor when casting the role. However, he gave a great screen test. He got on well with Wilma Deering actress Erin Gray during the audition and, and I quote, came across as naturally likeable and charismatic. Mm. Uh, just a great guy. Uh, so director Daniel Haller asked Larson to forget about the character's supposed age in the original comic strip, which was about 25, and to go with his gut feeling leading to Gerard getting the role. Apparently Kurt Russell mm. was the producer's first choice to play Buck Rogers, but turned it down. And apparently there's just something about Kurt Russell that screams space rogue because he was <laughs> up for Buck Rogers. He later met with the producers of Flash Gordon uh, for, the, for the film version in 1980, and he auditioned for Han Solo. So wow. everyone I mean, and he would have been brilliant in all three of those. Yeah. Have you ever seen his his Han Solo audition? No, I didn't even know that happened. Yeah, it's on YouTube. Like oh, pretty, amazing. He, he's pretty good. Like obviously there's there's only one Harrison, but he's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, of course he is. He's fucking Kurt Russell. Yeah. Um uh Gil Gerard, it's it's fair to say had had a fractious relationship with the show <laughs> that made him famous, as we'll yeah. w- as we'll get onto. Uh but he was clearly concerned about being typecast from the off. Gil, I could well understand why you would want to do a movie of Buck Rogers. Mm -hmm. Uh, I reviewed that film and I liked it a bunch in spite of the fact that I wasn't sure it was the kind of movie I would enjoy. But then when we get to talking about a TV series and the mass exposure of a character like Buck Rogers, Mm -hmm. the thought comes to me is it must have to you, you know, do you really want to do this kind of character week after week and mm. get so locked into it? Was that a concern of yours? Well, yeah, it was. As a matter of fact, I was asked about it, and I said, uh, you know, I, I don't mind doing the movie, but I almost hope it doesn't go to series because I know I'll be known as Buck Rogers. Um, it went to series, and now I have to deal with that. Um, actually, I think that... that uh, uh, I will make the best of it because I have I have my own production company and I have projects that I'm that I'm interested in and I think people will will identify with me as well as Buck Rogers and uh, there's not really much you can do about it. when you do a television series you really since you come into a person's home on a weekly basis they really identify with you as the character and uh, that you portray um, all I can hope is that the people will accept me as as uh, Gil Gerard when I do something else, and we'll come and see it, and and we'll we'll judge that on its own merits. Wow. So so Gil, I'll be honest with you, like I I didn't think I'd like Buck Rogers. Uh, <laughs> I, I I did, despite myself. I did actually enjoy it. But but even said even you know that being said, a TV show. What the fuck are you thinking, Gil? Like what a weird question and way of phrasing it. Like he's on the, your show to plug what he's plugging, and you're like. <laughs> Yeah. I've got to say, mate, it's a pretty shit decision of yours in your life to even <laughs> consider this. And he's like, do you know what? I, I agree. I did, yeah. the fil- I did the film and I hoped it wouldn't go to a series. And it did. And I've got to live with it. Great promotion for Buck Rogers in the 21st century. <laughs> two, two thumbs up. Uh, Nowadays, you'd have like the PRs on the sidelines go, nah, hang on, let's start again. None of that. None of that. So Buck was aided in his adventures by his friend and sometime romantic interest, uh, Colonel Wilma Deering, played by Aaron Gray, who was a high-ranking officer and starfighter pilot. Wilma Deering, that is not Aaron Gray. Uh, Aaron Gray, though, along with Linda Carter, uh, was one of the sci-fi pinups of the 1970s. 
you might remember Tom in the early South Park episode, Tom's rhinoplasty. Chef mm. refers to the substitute teacher, Miss Ellen, as Aaron Gray in the second season of Buck Rogers. <laughs> of course. Um, apparently the one piece spandex jumpsuit worn by Gray on the show was so tight that she had to be sewn into it. Uh, however, the character here presented as a, as I said, a military officer, a starfighter pilot was also progressive as Gray herself argued in 2013. She said, uh, I enjoyed being that kind of role model for young women watching the show. A woman can be a colonel. A woman can be in charge. These were new ideas then. Also often it was Wilma who would come to the rescue of Buck as opposed to the other way around. And to be fair, Buck was also sexualized repeatedly throughout the show with many so-called beefcake moments featuring <laughs> a shirtless Gil Gerard. Uh, because of his need to stay buff, Gerard was warned by producer Bruce Lansbury about feasting on the company's open all day craft <laughs> service buffet. <laughs> like, Gil, watch the waistline, Gil. But come on, if you've got craft service open all day, it's going to oh, yeah. sneak it's a bagel here, a donut yeah. there. A relationship between Buck and Wilma was hinted at, but rarely expanded upon. And in the first season, Buck was involved to some degree with a different woman almost every week. So it is, it is actually true to say, Buck Rogers, a different woman every week. Uh, <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, Buck is also assisted by the comic sidekick Tweaky, oh, uh, a small robot played physically by a Felix Silla, who also played Cousin It on the original Adams Family. And the character was voiced mainly by Mel Blanc, who is one of the oh, wow. all-time, yeah, one of the all-time greats in the world of voice acting. He voiced Bugs, uh, Bunny. Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, Porky Pig, and uh, more Looney Tunes characters, <laughs> uh, as well as Barney Rubble on the Flintstones. Barney and Wilma. <laughs> um, <laughs> in voicing Daffy Duck, of course, Blank also starred in the Duck Dodgers animated spoofs, which parodied the likes of Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon. I have sent for you, Dodgers, because we are facing a crisis. The world supply of Alludium Fosdex, the shaving cream atom, is alarmingly low. Now, we have reason to believe that the only remaining source is on Planet X, somewhere in this area. And you want me to find Planet X? Is that it? Can you do it, Dodgers? Oh, indubitably, sir. Because there's no one knows his way around outer space like Duck Dodgers in the 24th and a half century! So Tweaky, Tweaky communicated with an electronic noise that sounded like biddy biddy biddy, uh, but also spoke English. Uh, Tweaky's English consisted usually of 20th century slang that he learned from Buck, so he'd come up with stuff like okie dokie, Captain Buck. Uh, Originally, Tweaky was just going to make unintelligible electronic noises, the biddy 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 sound. Uh, however, this was deemed to be too similar to R2-D2 from Star Wars, uh, and so Tweaky was given a voice of his own. Here's a scene where he harasses a robot waitress. Booty booty, something from the bar, sir? Hold the phone. Nothing for me, thanks. Booty booty. Tweaky? Tweaky? Where are you going? Don't ask. <laughs> so Bud Rogers just looks at the camera and says, don't ask. So Tweaky just went off and shagged the robot. Well, you say that like he's not a robot. 
No, but like, they didn't have to. Have... <sighs> I, feel like, I, I, feel, I feel like you're being misleading because there is no, like, we just saw Tweaky sort of pursue the waitress. We don't know what happened Come on. after that. Buck knows. Buck knows that. He, Buck, you said yourself, Buck has a different lady every week. So he's like, don't ask. <laughs> like, he's obvious. Oh, dear. There's always like a fucking um, scrappy do, isn't there? Every single yeah. show had to have yeah. a stupid kid character. Even though this but, guy was off doing all sorts of adult stuff. Uh, yeah, exactly. Scrappy Doo was not was not chasing around. Schnarf uh, never uh, did any of this shit, did he? No, Schnarf. The one thing you could say about Schnarf and Thundercats is he kept it in his pants. It's the one good thing you could say about him. Did he even wear pants? I don't think he did. Uh, <laughs> uh, also aiding Buck, who um, you saw there in that scene, was uh, Doctor Theopolis or Theo voiced by Eric Server, who was a sentient computer in the shape of a disc about nine inches wide with an illuminated face, who was a member of Earth's uh, computer council and one of the planet's scientific leaders. And during the first season, Buck and Wilma took their orders from Dr. Elias Hewer, played by Tim O'Connor, who was the head of the Defence Directorate. Uh, the series' chief villain, again in the first season, was Princess Ardala, played by Pamela Hensley, whose goal was to conquer the Earth while making Buck her consort. Buck was so sexy that even his arch enemy wanted to fuck him. Uh, she, she, was, she was aided by her henchman Kane, uh, played in the pilot film by Henry Silva, who was a noted character actor who was, amongst other things, one of the Eleven in the original Ocean's Eleven. Uh, and the character was played in the series by Michael Ansara, who was married for a period to I Dream of Genie's Barbara Eden, with whom he later starred in the TV series Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, uh, and he later voiced Mr. Freeze in Batman the Animated Series. Uh, all of these characters were featured in the original Buck Rogers comic strip, except for Tweaky and Dr. Theopolis, who were original creations. So, although it was reasonably popular with viewers, from the off, Buck Rogers received... <laughs> Do that again. Buck Rogers received mixed <laughs> reviews. Are they mixed or negative? No, mixed. They were mixed. Okay. Oh. So, uh, journalist Bill Langman uh, called the Buck Rogers episode Space Rockers the worst episode of TV science fiction I have ever seen. Uh, Langman said, The acting is so wooden that Ed Wood himself, no pun intended, would surely have gone weak in the knees and wept openly upon witnessing it. Uh, although... Although, writing in the UK's Observer newspaper in October 1980, shortly after the series began airing in the UK, uh, Clive James, one of the all-time great uh, TV critics, said, The best comic strip science fiction on at the moment is Buck Rogers in the 25th century. The hardware looks good, and Wilma Deering looks simply sensational, like Wonder Woman with brains. Bit of an extreme sidebar there from James, but... uh... (laughs) Had to get his point across. As it were. As it were. As, As it were. (laughs) <laughs> don't ask um but as as we've touched upon perhaps the harshest critic of the series was gil gerard himself who wanted the show to be more serious he often clashed with the show's producers and the network the darn network over the tone of buck rogers uh he would often refuse to perform some of the more comical lines in the scripts he was given complaining that buck was just a wise ass who was making one joke after another and he would often rewrite scripts himself to place more emphasis on his own character at the expense of others. Uh, for example, in the episode Escape from Wedded Bliss, the script originally called for Buck to be rescued from the Draconians at the end of the episode by Wilma, but Gerard vetoed the idea. He wanted to be, he wanted to be the hero. 
Uh, unhappy with the show's direction, Gerard allegedly became increasingly difficult to work with, with which led to uh, tensions on set. A meeting between him and writers and script editors Anne Collins and Alan Brennert went badly, and they quit the show midway through the first season. Gerard was uh, threatened with legal action by the network if he continued to cause problems and hinder the production. Uh, in the November 1980 issue of Starlog, Gerard even, and this is, bear in mind, you know, this is when the show's still airing, Gerard said that he uh, hoped the series would not be picked up for a second season because he had no wish to go through another season like the first one. So from the <laughs> off, he was like, look, I'll do this film, but I really hope it doesn't go to a series. And it's like, look, I've done the first season. I really hope this doesn't go to a second season. Uh, Buck Rogers was renewed for a second season. Uh, though, though in the end, production was delayed by several months due to an actor's strike. Uh, but when production resumed in the fall of 1980, the series had a new set of producers. The format of the series was also changed uh, quite radically, actually. So instead of defending the Earth from external threats, Buck, Wilma and Tweaky, who somehow survived the, uh, the overhaul, were now part of a crew aboard an Earth spaceship called the Searcher on a mission to seek out the lost tribes of humanity who had scattered in the five centuries since Earth's 20th century nuclear war. Uh, Gerard had uh, had enough of that whimsical shit, of course. So uh, the, the, the second season was a lot less getting down and a lot more uh, serious concepts. Uh, the show began dealing in ideas like evolution, ecology, racism, pollution, war, nuclear power, identity, the self and religion. Yeah. Uh, the revamped version of Buck Rogers drew comparisons to uh, Glenn A. Larson's previous series, Battlestar Galactica, and also the original Star Trek with Buck in the role of Captain Kirk. Although initially pleased with the change in personnel, Gerard again became unhappy with the show. At the time of production, Gerard spoke highly of new showrunner John Mantley, but in a retrospective article in the mid-90s, he slagged him and season two off too. Uh, <laughs> another notable change in the second season was the disappearance of many of the regular characters of the first season, such as Dr. Hewer, Dr. Theopolis, Princess Ardala and Kane. So again, season two doesn't really match up with season one, which in turn doesn't really match up with the pilot movie. So there's essentially three distinct versions of Rogers in the 25th century uh, across the show's run. So several new characters were introduced for, uh, for season two. Admiral Ephraim Asimov, played by Jay Garner, who was the commander of the searcher and a descendant of the famous sci-fi author Isaac Asimov. Hawk, played by Tom Christopher, who was an alien character who represents the last of the nearly extinct bird people and became uh, the Spock-like character to Bucks Kirk. And Dr. Goodfellow, played by Wilfred Hyde-White, who was an elderly scientist with insatiable curiosity. Uh, Wilfred Hyde-White, incidentally, achieved international recognition in his later years for his role as Colonel Pickering in the film version of the musical My Fair Lady in 1964. Uh, and yeah. I, I love pulling out little things like this. According to Wikipedia, Wilfred Hyde-White had a reputation as a bon viveur. <laughs> Who wrote that? I want, I, want, I want my Wikipedia page. First of all, I want a Wikipedia page. And second of all, I wanted to say, Jeffrey had a reputation as a bon viveur. Uh, he just loved life. Uh, another new character in season two, interestingly, uh, was a snobbish robot called Crichton. Oh, uh, that's weird. Yeah, voiced oh. by Je Jeff David. Uh, he, he was a robot built by Goodfellow, who, but uh, Crichton found it difficult to believe that lowly humans could have built him. Uh, another, Crichton, of course, later uh, on, a, a slightly snobbish robot who appeared in, in Red Dwarf. Um, but there's also another sci-fi connection in the sense that Crichton is also said in Buck Rogers to have a positronic brain, uh, which was a fictional term that was later used in Star Trek The Next Generation, 
uh, later in the 80s as the technology used in data. Wow. So the that's... Androids teamed up. Sure. <laughs> yeah, the Android Avengers, data, Crichton and Crichton. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> data would be like, Crichton, no, not you, the other one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, there you go. You can have that for free, networks, yeah. if you're listening. Yeah, why not? Why not? Um, so uh, that's that sort of covered off the the main cast of characters, but there were some also some amazing guest stars across the uh, the run of Buck Rogers in the 25th century, including uh, Peter Graves, who was the star of the Mission Impossible TV series. Yeah, uh, he appeared in the episode Return of the Fighting 69th, uh, playing a character called Major Cooper, who was said to be approaching his mid 80s. Though Peter Graves was only 53 <laughs> at the time of the episode, and I can't Tough decide. Tape around. That's the thing. I can't decide if no, but that's the thing. He looked way too young. So I yeah. can't I, I can't decide if they're saying that Peter Graves looked in his eighties or if they're just saying that in the future, you know, you know, people old people people now in their sort of fifties and sixties don't look like people in the fifties and sixties did in the olden days. No, yeah. Who looked like proper old. So maybe by the year by, by the you know, by the twenty fifth century, we'll all just look great. Um <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis, she played uh, Jen Burton, who'd been falsely imprisoned in a deep space penal colony in the episode <laughs> Unchained Woman. Uh, Gary Coleman played <laughs> uh, played Hieronymus Fox, a 500-year-old child genius and president of an uh, alien planet in the episode Cosmic Whiz Kid. Uh, what, are, Ga- what are you talking about, Rogers? <laughs> exactly. Uh, Gary Coleman apparently asked for and received his spacesuit costume at the end of the episode's filming and later wore the outfit in an episode of Different Strokes. And there's a great picture here of Gary Coleman and Gil Gerard just being the boys on set, having a great time. <laughs> Maybe you can put this in like the show notes, Tom. I know, I know you'll appreciate this. <laughs> Gary's kind of got, he's got his hand on uh, Gil's shoulders. Oh, Gil, that was, that is so you. Yeah. That is, that yeah. is, uh... Gil, Gil has just regaled Gary Coleman with a cracking anecdote. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and Gary Coleman's like, oh, Gil, classic Gil. Uh, uh, also, also starring in the series were uh, were Jack Palance, uh, Vera Miles, who was the star of the original Psycho, uh, Joseph Wiseman, who played Doctor No in the Bond movie, the same name. He actually played uh, two characters. He played Princess Ardala's father, Emperor Draco, in the original Buck Rogers movie. Uh, his appearance was cut out of the TV version, though, uh, but he later reappeared in a different role in the episode Vegas in Space. Uh, several actors who played villains in the 1960s Batman television series also guest starred on Buck Rogers, including Cesar Romero, uh, the Joker, Frank Gorshin, the Riddler, and Julie Newmar, Catwoman, uh, and Roddy McDowell, who is, again, <clears throat> one of the most underrated actors of all time. Just put that out there. And, yeah. and his, his name is misspelled in the credits as Roddy McDowell instead of Dowell. How dare you? Where is the respect for Roddy? Yeah. Can't believe it. And, it's like Quantum Leap all over again. <laughs> and also also appearing, a young Dennis Haysbert, uh, oh. best known for playing David Palmer uh, on, on 24. Uh, and, and of course, in a reference to the original Buck Rogers film serials, Buster Crab, he's back. Oh, amazing. He, he appeared in, uh, in uh, Buck Rogers in the 25th century as Brigadier Gordon in a reference to his other famous role of Flash Gordon. Oh, amazing. I didn't know he was still around at that point. Still yeah. around. Um, he's Buster Crab. Come yeah. on. He's probably still alive. He's probably, probably. Yeah. I wouldn't put it past him. Hey, nice double teaming over there, whoever you are. 
Gordon's the name, thanks. We met Gordon? I don't think so, Captain. We're from different times. Gordon, where'd you learn to shoot like that? I've been doing that sort of thing since before you were born, Captain. You think so, huh? Young man, I know so. Oh, that's great. I like that. That was lovely. That's the kind of thing as well that you'd expect you'd expect to happen now when every, yeah. everything everything is made all cinema and television is made for massive nerds like us but for them to do that back then is uh is, is nice but like, would people of i know i suppose if you're a big buck rogers fan you'd know who buster crab was but would uh, most people have known who that was do you know what i mean because it's, mm. he didn't it obviously doesn't look like he did back in the 30s and mm. he, <laughs> he looked great but he didn't look like he looked you know did a lot of people I don't know. I just I wouldn't have thought that everyone would just instantly go, "Oh my God, it's Buster Crab." Uh, maybe I'm being being far too. I, uh, I, I think you're. I think you're underestimating. I think you're being yeah. presumptuous, and I think you're underestimating the appeal of of Buster Crab. Uh, <laughs> of course, that line there from Buck, nice double teaming over there, is also what he said to Tweaky after he chased that waitress off. <laughs> when he said it, I was like, "Can I? Can I reference? Nah, I'll leave it. I'll leave it." Anyway, that's right. That's right. I didn't keep that in. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> who, who wins? Who was? Oh, that's yeah. <laughs> so, the changes uh, made to Buck Rogers in season two proved unpopular with viewers. Well done, oh. Gil. Um, <laughs> the the ratings dropped significantly after the second season premiere. So everyone tuned in. Was like, oh, Buck Rogers is back. Ah, oh, what is this? They've changed everything I liked about it, but they've kept tweaking. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, so the ratings drop, coupled with an increasingly problematic star uh, in Gil Gerard, uh, made NBC decide to cancel the series after just 11 episodes uh, oh. into season two. No finale storyline was produced, uh, with the mm. final episode broadcast just being a normal standalone episode. Though, the series was popular enough in its peak to inspire merchandise. So, of course, there were toys. Uh, there were two novels published by Dell Publishing. The first was a novelization of the pilot buck rogers film and the second which i think is quite cool was adapted from an unproduced episode script so it's like a missing episode uh released mm. as a novel there was also a uh, comic series which began with an adaptation of the pilot film again but then continued on with new adventures but that was set in the series continuity uh this is from wikipedia sort of verbatim and i don't know what this means and i'll be honest i couldn't be bothered to find out okay. <laughs> so it says the comic book started with issue number two picking up the numbering from an issue published in 1964 in the style of the old comic strips. What? I assume, mm. I assume they mean that there was like one issue of a Buck Rogers comic in the 60s and for some reason when they brought it back in the 80s they decided to start with issue two in case anyone remembered two decades later. Anyway, uh -huh. then, it says, then it says issue 10 was never published. Doesn't say why. Um, and there was just no issue 10. And this comic series was cancelled after issue 16. Why aren't that well, much too complicated to follow, isn't it? <laughs> it was like, look, why is it starting at issue two? There's no issue one. There was also no issue 10. I don't know what's going on. Um, although the comic did outlive the series by several months, but the comic book remained within the continuity of season one and did not feature any characters from season two. Much shade mm. being thrown by the comic creators. You can also buy Buck Rogers in the 25th century on DVD or Blu-ray. Uh, and also you can purchase the first season on Amazon Prime Video or Apple TV. But this series, surprisingly, in an age now where every great idea or character or, or concept is, is revisited, remade, uh, revamped, rebooted, revived um, over and over and over again, this is actually the last time that Buck Rogers made it to the screen. How um, weird. Yeah, well, partly because of rights issues. 
So uh, the Chicago businessman John F. Dill uh, founded the National Newspaper Syndicate, which syndicated the original Buck Rogers comic strip. Uh, so the Dill family trust now, sort of in his stead, claims copyright of the Buck Rogers character, but others claim that it has outlived copyright protection and has passed into the public domain, you know, like Sherlock Holmes. Um, so, so some people are saying, I, I can do Buck Rogers, I can do what I want with it, but then there's this Dill family trust that claim they still own the copyright and no one really knows who owns the rights. So there's a dispute over it. So that's, that's why there's never been another, well, one of the reasons why there's never been another uh, Buck Rogers mm. screen adaptation. But Gil Gerard and his co-star, Aaron Gray, did reunite in 2007 for the TV film Nuclear Hurricane. Uh, <laughs> the, the synopsis, a highly sophisticated computer system at a nuclear power plant goes crazy. To make matters worse, it develops a capacity for reason and malice while a tropical <laughs> island storm is blowing into town. That's a 3.2 on IMDb. Uh, Not a classic. Gerard and Gray also returned to the Buck Rogers universe, sort of, uh, by signing up to play the character's parents in the pilot episode of a web series called Buck Rogers Begins. Uh, a teaser scene featuring Gerard and Gray was released to YouTube in 2009, although it's uh, it's no longer up. Uh, and Buck Rogers Begins never materialised. A Kickstarter to fund a pilot film uh, raised just $2,000 of a $20,000 goal. So mm. for now... Buck Rogers remains in stasis. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's got such a strange life because it seemed like they fit in a lot in a short space of time. Mm. And yet, as you say, they had three completely different versions all in the same thing. So like the movie, then the first season, which is all whimsical and fun, and then you had the second season where Gil just went up his own arse and decided to make it all serious and so i suppose maybe does each version have its own fan base weirdly because they're all completely different i don't know but um yeah it's a sh I, I always find it a shame when it's a tv series which doesn't really have an end just kind of ends yeah. and doesn't really have yeah but maybe because of that because like faulty towers and the office it's sort of carried on its legacy has lived long in the memory because it didn't carry on too long afterwards I, I think so. I think I think when you know TV analysts and critics um, talk about the shows that only ran for two series and because of that are held in high esteem, they will reference Forty Towers, The Office, and also Buck Rogers in the Twenty Fifth Century. <laughs> comes up, comes up all the time. Comes all up all the, time. the time. All the time. Yeah. Well, that is it. We're off to get a house in Devon and drink cider from a lemon. Uh, <laughs> but why not check out all our previous episodes at Two Geeks Two Beers all episodes are also available on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, Global Player, and all other good podcast outlets. And many of our episodes, old and new, are now on YouTube. Uh, so you can also find us there, unless you're listening to this on YouTube and you've already found us there, in which case, well done. <laughs> well, well done. Um, also on all these social channels, at 2 Geekscast, uh, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to uh, get various bits and pieces on there um and we're also on patreon uh, if you go to two geeks cast on there as well you'll be able to get lots of exclusive goodies uh episodes before it's out uh to the rest of the world um and um yeah just special special episodes you can only get there and nowhere else if you pay a little bit more then you can uh, get an episode of your choosing as well yes i i that was a ill-timed swig of my beer uh, <laughs> and you can also email us you can and you should uh podcast at two geeks two beers 
gmail.com and send us thoughts, feedback, suggestions for future episodes, and so forth. Uh, <laughs> so, so to play us out from the... It's not feeder. Um, from the episode, really, I was I'm amazed. I'm genuinely amazed that you. Haven't I, I was like, on. I was like, what's less likely to get us sued? Um, <laughs> so, so to play us out from the episode, Space Rockers, uh, and later featured for some reason in GTA San Andreas. Uh, this is the song Odyssey by Johnny Harris. Oh. Let's let's get down, Tom. <laughs> get down and boogie. Let's get down and boogie. Get down. to me tom while i was mm. while i was listening to that obviously we've got the website we've got apple Podcasts, youtube but do you know how yeah. else someone could listen to the podcast how's that they could burn an, an episode to a disc and then listen to it on a cd player 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 <laughs> anyone listening to the podcast who's never heard of but rogers by feeder which is quite quite a few people i'm sure it was a hit single back in the year 2000 Actually, the first band I ever saw live was Feeder. Um, then none of that would make sense, but because uh, you didn't choose to play the song, so you know. Uh, there you yeah. go. Lost on you. Good song. Good Great song. song.